Welcome to Future Fuzz, the digital marketing podcast. Do you think then that corporates suck up all the great talent that's out there? I don't think that they do, but they have greater opportunity to do so. So startups in a way have got to fight harder, but I actually think that there's such an opportunity in the current market, particularly with uh, millennial Gen Z talent, that actually they don't want to work for a big faceless corporate and startups should use it as an advantage more than they do. So in terms of their employer brand, the way they put themselves across, there's such an opportunity that I don't think startups even fully realise how much that balance can change if they go about things in the right way. Right, right. So let's go straight into it. Um, you started Calendly when? I mean, tell us about the story of Calendly because you've got um, Hannah as your yeah, co-founder, right? Yeah, brilliant. Candidly, sorry. Uh, did I say Calendly? Yeah. Candidly. Friday morning, I'm just having a coffee. All right, Candidly. <laughs> um, so the story behind uh, Candidly. So um, obviously Hannah and I have worked within HR Tech our whole careers. Um, Hannah started as a recruiter and we worked together at a technology job board. And then when we went our separate ways, um, evolved our career further in lockdown one hannah approached me and said uh i've got this harebrained idea i think we should launch a company and um yeah we spent a bit of time during lockdown one when the world of recruitment and hr was pretty slow so a lot of people had time to talk about what their problems were yeah evolving uh what candidly ended up becoming which is a, a, a SaaS tech product um but initially, really, what we were trying to do was just work out um, why do startups and scale-ups sometimes struggle with recruitment? Why do they find it scary and intimidating? Uh, and it's difficult if you're a, a startup or a scale-up where you're trying to manage your funds effectively. So you can't go to recruitment agencies for every hire you're making. You might need to for some strategic hires. You're time poor. So the idea of being inundated with huge volumes of CVs is uh, unappealing. Right. You don't necessarily have a talent acquisition team or even an individual who recruitment sits within to be able to delegate the responsibility for this to. Uh, and it can feel like you're fighting a losing battle because how do you evolve a recruitment team or evolve a recruitment process from nothing when you don't really know what you're doing? Yeah. Um, so we yeah started thinking through what those uh, how those challenges could be solved and going into a little bit more uh, nuance as to what the particular time uh, killers were, um, namely things like interview scheduling, the idea of having to go back and forth and try and work out time people are available and then by the time right. slot, it's been nabbed. Um, that takes ages, yeah. yes. <laughs> um, Scorecarding. So the idea of trying to evaluate who is the best candidate that you've got in your pipeline, um, which sadly, and this is, I'm, I would say, a familiar story for most startups. Um, you want to have fairness in your process. You want to make sure that you are hiring the right person for the job. That's why you're hiring. Right. Yeah. But without the, the correct structure to be able to evaluate whether they've got the skills, uh, competencies, values that you're looking for. You end up going in, having a chat with someone and saying, yeah, yeah, they seem like they seem like they'd be a really good fit. And there's this kind of cultural fit term that gets thrown around. Right. What is right. cultural fit? Um, and does it mean that you just end up hiring a group of clones 
who don't ever challenge opinion and don't ever uh, think about how things could be better. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, but, you know, if you don't have a process for scorecarding or evaluating success when you're interviewing, that can seem quite scary as well. So we were trying to think really about ways that we could build technology that is a plug and play end to end system with everything integrated that helps solve some of those pain points. And the UI is run in a way that is intuitive and guiding and feels a bit warmer. A lot of technology yeah. solutions have become so focused on um, being clean and simple that they can feel a bit, um, I don't know, cold. Yeah, uh, definitely. But recruitment yeah. is a human function. So uh, we wanted it to feel warm, feel like it was helping you get to attainment of those goals. And correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't there some sort of pipeline system inside the software that you, let's say candidates go through a process? I thought that looked really good. Yeah, so um, the main interface of how we run the uh, the journey for the, the, the client is a Kanban board. So the candidate either is added to the sourced column or applies for the job. Um, we use AI to help decipher who might be a better rank for the job. And, and how call do you do that? Um, we're using technology to help us do that. Um, but is, and... it, is it scanning the CV? Because that's what I was curious about, right? Because I've, I've been in that situation before where I had to hire someone. It was a painful process. It always is. Couldn't use a recruitment agency because it would blow our budget. Yeah. You know, classic example. Familiar story. Yeah, looking at CVs and I'm like, no, 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 right. But are yeah. you able to scan that or do they fill out a questionnaire to better qualify them? No, so for now, and again, all of this is, it's an evolving world, right? So yeah. within our job board experience, we knew that adding... Uh, pre-screening questions might be helpful for the client you know you might want to know if they've got the right to work in the UK or you might want to know if they've got a certain number of years experience but every question you ask them you're going to get more people dropping off and the people that are going to drop off are the best ones <laughs> so oh, really? you end up well, it's just, it's logical, right? A yeah. lot of the people who are really good are the passive candidates who have perhaps just come out of a meeting at their company and they're feeling a bit fed up and they think, I'm going to find another job. But if you start asking them to jump through hoops, it's like, well, okay, I'm not sure I can, I can be bothered with this anymore. Um, that's so really interesting. To... I've never thought about it like that because they're busy, <laughs> right? And they're like, they, and they feel like they might deserve something and they might, right? They might be good enough that they deserve a great role. It's I guess it's balance, right? Um, so I think if you can find it an easy way of asking pre-screening questions, like a very quick, like, yes, no, tick box, like for a couple, fine. But I mean, we've seen some painful journeys through the course of time that we've been in this industry space, you know, with big corporates who genuinely are expecting that people are going to fill out, you know, eight pages worth of application form because their company is so elite everyone should be willing to go through that journey and you just think right. really really if someone's annoyed and they're searching on their lunch break this is going to put them off um and i don't know if you ever got involved in this in your um in your journey justin but with um uh public sector oh my goodness that is painful oh, as well <laughs> Um, like well, I've done, I've done some public sector tenders before where you tender for work and that yeah. is like, oh, that's like worse than doing a dissertation. <laughs> yeah, so um, I guess simple is important, but at the yeah. same time, knowing that there's that trade-off that every question you ask is probably going to potentially reduce your candidate pool, but what you end up with is a more curated pool of people that you can easily decipher whether they're good or not. 
it's finding the right way of going about that. So um, I think yeah. it, going back to your original um, question about um, what we're uh, what we're doing to try and help um, with the intelligence piece, yeah. we use technology, AI technology, to match the um, CV to the job advert and give a, 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 an idea of a correlational match. As with all AI, it works better in some situations than it does in others. Um, tech tends to be easier because even though it is more intelligent than just a keyword match, even if you look at keywords and then semantics around that, it's easier to decipher whether someone has Java than it is whether to work out whether someone's a good communicator, for example. Right, yeah. But we're trying to yeah use that at the start of the journey to help identify who you might want to prioritize um, in your pool. And then as you uh, correctly identify, we move them through that funnel of the process of interview stage one, interview stage two, and um, try and create transparency in the business that everyone can see where the candidate's at at all times, um, add their commentary against them as required, add their scorecards, because we're doing things fairly. Right. Um, and, and, and eventually, hopefully, our tagline is better, faster, fairer hiring. So trying right. to help people do things more efficiently but also, in I guess, success doesn't look like just doing it quickly. It, it, it looks like actually doing it in a way that creates better hires that are going to help your business grow and succeed. Better, better, faster, fairer hiring. That is yeah. a great tagline. <laughs> I was just curious, so what do you see as trends at the moment? So I've had some crazy couple of years, right? COVID yeah. hit, redundancies were made. Yeah. Then there's a sort of... a a big increase in certain areas like tech was hiring like absolute crazy um you know big companies like amazon google building huge sales teams and then yep. we seem to have gone into sort of you could call it a, a bit of a long sluggish recession where those big companies started letting people go right yep. and then it looked terrible like amazon let go four thousand people but actually they'd hired like twenty two thousand people so it wasn't that bad um, and other organizations did the same. Then there were loads and loads of tech startups, right, during COVID period, including yourself. Um, and uh, they they grew. It's a bit, and now it's slowing down a bit. Service <laughs> sector's coming up again. But I'm just curious, what age groups are you seeing are the most actively looking for, for jobs at the moment? In terms of the candidates? Yeah. Um, I think there's a, a wide range of people who are open to opportunity at the moment, because as you said, a lot of the big tech businesses have made uh, big, <laughs> big changes in their em employees recently. And you'll probably find that a lot of, I mean, certainly if you hear about the stories coming out of places like Google, a lot of the talent they let go was actually really well tenured individuals, very well qualified people. Mm. So I don't think it's just the case that it's last in, first out with these businesses necessarily. I think sometimes they are looking to um, evolve the business and um, and move on. Um, but I think um, the, the, the world of recruitment at the moment is a funny place, as you correctly identify. It's constantly ebbing and flowing. So if you think about when we were planning out the initial stages of Candidly, the problem people had at that time was that we were in the middle of furlough in lockdown one. Um, 
there were loads of people that were looking for opportunity yeah. but at the same time everyone was scared because if they weren't yet if they hadn't yet been let go they obviously didn't want to jump before they would end up potentially with nothing very a uh, high period of uncertainty so the challenge from an employer perspective at that time was noise so many people wanting jobs hard to tell whether they really want it or they just want a job just something for a, a means of stability and security then as time came, then time evolved and we came out of um, that lockdown period and people were making decisions to perhaps further their career, perhaps their business was looking to bring people back into the office and they wanted flexibility and people have had that moment of realising what life could be like if they had better work-life balance. Mm -hmm. So perhaps it changes people's priority and some businesses were slow to act on understanding that people have seen a different way of working and, and, and the working world has evolved. So then what you'll probably find is that the that people were looking to move for different reasons and perhaps clients weren't as inundated with irrelevant volume. Um, and then times have evolved further now so that now, you've, as you say, there have been a lot of businesses that sadly have been letting people go. So you will have really great talent that's available in the market. Whether that talent matches the jobs that are available, I think right. is an interesting point. Because if you think about areas where, I mean, certainly, and this is probably specifically because of my experience within recruitment and HR tech, I'm seeing a lot of people having been let go within the talent acquisition space, obviously because businesses are evolving their recruitment strategy and thinking about whether they need as large teams after the SaaS bubble um, has burst and big tech perhaps aren't growing exponentially, they're growing sensibly. Yeah. Um, so as you say, it's not that they're not growing or it's not that they're not trying to move forward. It's just not growth at all costs, which was probably the narrative from the business world and from VCs back a couple of years ago, where it's like, grow, 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 grow. Now it's like, grow, but also manage your cash burn and try and yeah. elongate your runway a little bit more. Um, there is a good opportunity, though, for startups and scale-ups, I think, for when things start picking up again, because they can pick up some great talent. Yes. And um, and I think if they have a more hands-on approach and they can use Candidly and... Uh, yeah. yeah, basically save a lot of time, get speaking to the right people without scaring ca good candidates off. I think that's a very good point. I never thought about it before. Um, yeah. It's a good time, actually, to start just all... Well, someone told me that you should always be looking for talent. You should have it yeah. always on. Would you agree with that? Well, of course I would agree with that. <laughs> uh, well, I think... Um... You know, I set them up, you know, you knock it in. So like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. That was easy. Easiest girl I've ever scored. Um, <laughs> I, um, I think that the startups and scale-ups have a real opportunity to benefit from the fact that what they're offering is probably more in demand now than it's ever been. Right. People want to work for, and particularly with the percentage of millennials, Gen Z um, individuals within the market... People don't want to necessarily work for a faceless beast anymore. They want to work for a business that, and if you look, all the statistics um, back this up, that what people are looking for now is purpose-led organisations, organisations yeah. they feel are doing good for the world, particularly as, as you go towards the younger demographics. That's really important to people. 
flexibility, work-life balance, things that would have been maybe a bit taboo to say a few years ago that like that's your priority. It would make you sound maybe lacking ambition to say mm. that your priority is work-life balance. But these days after COVID, I think it's become more acceptable to demand that your employer lets you live life first and, and work second. And well, Justin, as you know, I also spent a period of time in Amsterdam. And I think it's one of the things that the Dutch do really well is understanding that like work is important, but life is more important. And I think yeah. some other some some of the time we forget that, that we're yeah, working. And I'm not taking away from the satisfaction that you can get from work. But what does that mean if you're working constantly and you're never able to enjoy your life? Future First is sponsored by SalesSource. B2B pipeline management and sales growth for your business. Sure, yeah. I think I, I definitely see that as well. There's an interest and a rise in um, people wanting to apply to B Corps, right? And yeah. non-profits or organizations that, you know, obviously do work for profit, but they have a division which is a which is a non-profit or they have a charity attached to what have you. They need yeah. to have that added extra value, which makes sense. Yeah. See that see that a lot more in the sort of Gen Z space. I don't think baby boomers were so much into that, right? They no. had a totally different outlook. They had different priorities, which makes sense. That's fine. Yeah, of course. And these things yeah. evolve. And I think it's not necessarily... Uh, not every business can be truly purpose-led either. But it's thinking, I guess, about what you as a business have that makes you cool or fun or... Um, kind or like wh whatever your USPs are and it doesn't have to be something big and flashy and I think that's what small businesses need to understand that actually it's the authenticity of um, a startup a scale-up a business where people are allowed to be human beings you know each other you care about each other mm. that can be a huge selling point to why someone would, would, would want to come and work for you rather than a big corporate and it doesn't have to be years of developing a flashy employer brand with amazing corporate videos and I think that the, the days of that being the big draw and selling point of, of a company are over and actually if we lower the barrier of what employer brand looks like from a um, I don't know a glossiness perspective actually what you end up with is much more of a true depiction of what that business offers uh, which probably would mean that you end up with much less churn when you do get people through the door because the way you've portrayed your company is genuinely who you are. Yeah, yeah. And there'll be a lot of companies out there that try and sell the job, but then once they're in, it's a very, very different experience. Yeah. Let's change, let's change the uh, subject ever so slightly. Let's talk about the um, uh, your, your founding team. So you're, you're co-founding with Hannah, right? You, you both yep. founded the business together? We did, yes. Let's talk about female founders. And uh, I don't know if you listened to one of the other podcasts, but we spoke to two female founders from Bibby Beauty. And there's quite some shocking stats out there, especially when it comes to fundraising. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen that? Uh, um, I, mean, I, haven't I, listened, I haven't listened to the podcast. I've done, I've, I've, I've had, I've done a fair bit of research on female founding, uh, female, female funding. Yeah. Um, and it's mad because, you know, they even try and hide behind things like um, if one of the founders is female, then, you know, they'll claim everything they possibly can, even if three of the founders are male. Yeah. Um, even in that scenario. Yeah, you're right. Like wholly male founded businesses receive such a huge proportion of the funding that's yeah. available. I think um, the we need to check the stat and write it in the podcast subscription in the notes. But I think it's something yeah. as crazy as that. All female founder teams, let's say they have one female founder or a female founder team, which is 
yeah. all female. Yep. Um, they get one pound out of every hundred yeah, ounces sounds about invested. Right. It, may, it might even be like 50p out of 100. It's absolutely shocking, right? Yeah. And there's no, and there's no um, difference in the number of companies that are founded now pretty much in the UK between male, male and female, I think. Yeah. I think it's pretty much equal. So how have you, have you both found it? <laughs> um, Be honest. Well, I, I mean, it is, it's a really interesting um, topic. Uh, and being female tech founders, which Hannah and I are, obviously makes us a real uh, rarity in mm. the first place. And of course, tech's expensive. So it's not a simple thing to just be able to bootstrap and be like, oh, yeah, we'll just build this big piece of tech off our own backs or make get it to profit before we start to try and fundraise. Like we needed money off the back. So we ha um, so we had to go and uh, have a chat to people from our network, really, and try and get some angel investment um, but based more on our reputations that we've developed over time rather than anything else. And, uh, yeah, going and trying to speak to people that were completely cold and didn't know us, if we'd been relying on that, I think would have been very, very difficult. And I think it is something that needs to be balanced out because... Um, so I, I came across um, one of the founders of Olio. I don't know if you know Olio. Um, uh, very cool sustainability brand about um, food sharing and now they're doing lots more sh community sharing right. uh, to try and avoid waste. Um, actually, I met at the gym and her, um, it, she's part of a female founded business, um, but they've achieved loads of, I think, 40 odd million of funding um, series B. Um, and her co-founder had written a really interesting article about funding that talks about not just the percentage of funding that uh, women female founded businesses get being so low but also the way that women have to justify their existence uh, right. in the world of fundraising so the fact that apparently um, when you're trying to pitch for funding maybe it's to do with um, men more naturally coming across as uh, let's call it assertive and perhaps verging on overconfident about the journey of their business whereas women perhaps come in and are a bit more realistic about what their business is going to achieve yeah or if it's just the way that the investors perceive um male founders compared to female founders but men were asked questions that allowed them to positively talk about how their business was going to achieve things whereas women were asked questions that were more negatively slanted that meant they had to justify why their business wouldn't fail um, so it ends up going down these rabbit holes of conversation where men are able to spend their time talking about how great it's going to be when their business succeeds, right. whereas women are justifying, are you sure those numbers are correct? Are you sure that you're going to be able to succeed? Which obviously creates a vastly different um, feeling amongst those investors in terms of which business, if you are going to go on gut instinct in the end. Which, which a lot of these investments go for, right? Because yeah. they know it's a numbers game. They know if they invest in 20, that one will be a, a big success and two might be all right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And in, yeah. in early stage businesses, obviously everyone's numbers are going to look good. It's whether you believe that that person has the ability to deliver on those numbers, right? Um yeah, you, I mean, I think the investors need to think about having a balanced portfolio and having a mix because, um, you know, you're going to have you have to have all all balances of founders. It really doesn't make any difference. I think, um, you know, over the last few years, we've seen a lot of uh, glass ceilings smashed. Right. We still haven't had a female president of the United States, which blows my mind. Um, right. But um, I think now it's got to turn onto 
to fundraising and investment for for female founders because I make the point again and again and again it just I just don't get it the best managers I've ever worked for and the most inspiring leaders have been women in you know for me yeah. I've had some great male managers don't get me wrong but I just think it's been so it's been much much better um, uh, with with having female leadership yeah. um, so I want to make so one one point I I found a company in the Netherlands and they were on TV and then I read into them they only employ women right? okay. they only employ women <laughs> that's an interesting one like okay I'm like all oh, right I see which point you're trying to make there I don't necessarily think that is the solution no. but I think in the Netherlands it is so bad it is so bad and you've worked in you know Amsterdam they've got a great work life balance but they are a little bit stuck in the dark ages um, <laughs> when it comes to, you know, having a better balance in the workplace, especially female leadership. I think what this company is trying to do is make a point is that it's so bad over there that they want to have all female companies to yeah. sort of counterbalance the very all male um, setups. So, yeah, please share that article in the uh, so we can put it in the in the podcast uh, comments. That would be yeah. great. Well, I do think that if businesses are going to are serious about having women in leadership roles, they have also got to think about what flexibility they might need to afford for that to happen. So, for yeah. example, um, Hannah, my business partner, has got two young children. So one of the things that we were passionate about from the outset was enabling her to be the best version of herself but also to be a great mother um and that might mean that she starts working earlier but finishes at three to go and collect her little boy and then comes back and logs on later and does her work yeah. who cares like the work's getting done and she probably ends up putting more hours in because she's spending so much time at home with the kids when they're doing various other things or sleeping napping whatever um Thinking about work all the time. Well, I think she yeah. is. But, uh, yeah. um, I mean, and then you're you so know, desperate to work after you've been looking after the kids all day. Well, you're you know, really efficient. It, yeah. It was funny. So her her little girl has just turned one. Um, so she's just kind of getting back to um, the ability that she can actually go out of the house and go to like a co-working space to work for a bit. And last week I spoke to her in, in, in a co-working space and she was just delighted. <laughs> it was like a holiday yeah. going to, she was just like I love it I'm around business people like I'm working like she was having the time of her life like I, uh, I guess that's the when, when you become a parent sometimes work ends up being your um your holiday time I guess definitely, <laughs> yeah, um, definitely is mine as well <laughs> on that so on Rachel, that note we have to wrap it up Alex oh, okay. talk for hours and you've yes, got, we'll you got a meeting soon as well haven't you I have <laughs> brilliant thank you so much for coming on what's the website url so people can check it out it's www.wearecandidly.com and make sure you follow alex later on linkedin she posts great stuff <laughs> even more and more trying to <laughs> brilliant thank you so much for coming on the cast it was great to talk about all these things thanks alex no problem thanks justin thanks for tuning in and making the choice to listen to this podcast if you liked what you've heard today, please don't forget to subscribe.